Thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for anointing this night. Lord, I thank you for an open heaven, your glory here. And even as we're going to get into the word of the Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving upon every one of us, those that are live streaming, those that are going to may maybe listen to this to a podcast or watch this on YouTube, however they're going to see it. I thank you even now for the Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to help everyone get captivated, give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus good soil of hearts and minds and lives as you speak through me your living seeds of truth sown out into good soil watered by the holy spirit will take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till jesus comes now thank you lord for the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations it will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to because the bible says the word of the lord will not return void but it will go forth and accomplish that which the lord has sent it for it to do so we stand on that promise but jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed that's the demonic so we take authority anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this in any way we bind you in the name of jesus we break your power you will back off right now and i thank you lord for your angels just clearing that out of the way that this will go forth under a mighty anointing in jesus mighty name we pray amen all right so i'm dealing with part three of waging a good warfare and I'm going to deal tonight with contending for the faith. So let me just say this up front. You guys are going to be able to tell people, somebody says, what did you do at church this weekend? You're going to say, we went through the entire book of Jude. And, those, and listen, and people that don't know the Bible are going to be really impressed with you at that moment, okay? But those that do know the Bible are laughing right now because it's only one chapter. But we're going to actually, this is a little bit different for me, but man, the Holy Spirit put this on me so strong. It's going to be kind of an expository type of sermon. We're going to go through the book of Jude together. And I encourage you over this next week, maybe go home and reread the book of Jude on your own. Maybe use some of these notes. But I'm going to tell you, Jude, uh, God really used him in this book. This is a powerful chapter. I mean, one chapter, but it is an explosive chapter. Now, Jude was the, one of the brothers of Jesus. If you go back and look at Jesus' life, remember that his brothers didn't believe in him. But yet, later on, James and Jude, were, they were believers, and God really used them in Jerusalem. So this is uh, the half-brother of Jesus. I'm going to read this. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called and beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you to contend earnestly for the faith. Everybody say contend. So we're contending earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now you can see that in different places in the scripture. You see in Galatians, Paul said that there were some that, that crept in to spy out their freedom. And then we read in Acts where uh, the apostle Paul was also talking to the leaders before he was going to go to Jerusalem. And he told them, he said, the, the enemy's not going to spare this flock. There's going to be wolves that come in among you. 
So Jude was saying here, this is written for all of us, all churches, okay? He was saying there were certain persons that crept in unnoticed. Those who were long before him marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who have turned the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to lose you there. Licentiousness just means immorality, in particular sexual immorality. But they're saying there that they've turned the grace of God into a license to sin. And I'm going to tell you, this book, in my opinion, is an end-time warfare book to be read and studied, okay? Because in this, you can see that in these last days, the Bible says that there's going to be false teachers and false prophets. And we're seeing that even now, there are some that teach against repentance, I don't want to get into that some big long rabbit trail, but let me tell you, one of the most important aspects of our Christianity is that we humble ourselves and repent, amen? And so this is warning that they would come teachers one day that would uh, only speak what uh, people's itching ears want to hear, and they're not calling people to repentance, in verse 5, it says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of Egypt. So as we go through this, I want you to think about this. Those that were brought out of Egypt are a picture and type of us today that they came out by the blood of the Lamb, and they were water baptized through the Red Sea into Moses. So they came, and they were baptized in the cloud, which is a picture and type of the Holy Spirit. So they came out with a picture and type of salvation, yet it says subsequently they were destroyed. Those who did not believe, God brought destruction. Many of them died in the wilderness because they were not really right with God. And so that think about this book as we go through it. Don't let anything escape you tonight. Don't miss a verse in this that, that maybe you don't focus on for a moment. I really want to go through it line upon line here, but I want you to see what Jude's saying. He's saying that God saves a group of people, yet some of them are not really right, and they end up being destroyed along the journey. So we can start good, but we must finish well, okay? He said also, and then he starts giving these warnings in verse 6. And there's a reason for this in context. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so that is those fallen angels that came down to procreate with women back in the days of Jared that you read about in Genesis chapter 6. And so obviously he's referring to something here in context with this that we need to pay attention to and then he goes on comparing that he says just as also Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since in the same way as they indulged in gross immorality and went into strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire and we know that Sodom and Gomorrah was known for sexual immorality in particular homosexuality and so as you go through this, you're seeing here a warning that there would be those that would be false teachers and false prophets that would lead people astray, lead them away from repentance. And then he goes on to say, 
that they're actually causing people to feel okay in their sin and they're not repenting of their sin. And let me just warn you that there are going to be people in these last days that whether they say it or they refuse to preach things that they should preach, either way, there's a subtle message in that that's against repentance. It's not leading people into deep repentance, the conviction of their sin. It's not bringing them into the fear of God and into holiness. Instead, it's making people just feel comfortable where they're at. Why? Because they're just interested in building some big thing with a lot of people in the seats and a lot of money coming in. Hello? So let's break this down. In this first section of Jude... Number one, false teachers that teach people that grace is a license to sin. Did not the Bible warn us that there would come a time when people would not endure sound doctrine, but instead they would gather unto themselves teachers that would tell them what their itching ears want to hear? And itching ears is, is a, a, an expression like a rash. If anybody's ever had poison ivy, I mean, you itch it and then it itches even more. And you want to keep itching it even more. And these people, it's like they have some type of a lust about them that they want to gather unto themselves people that keep placating them, that keep telling them everything's okay when it's not. Would you have wanted to been on the, something that was about to be destroyed? You would think in history about something like the Titanic, but something that was going to be destroyed and everybody was just telling you everything's going to be okay until you perished. Or would you want somebody to tell you the truth? And secondly, he warned about unbelieving people that will abandon the faith. The Bible says in the latter days that some would depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing, deceiving spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons. That's 1 Timothy 4.1. Go back and read it for yourself. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the, that there would be a falling away, a great rebellion in Greek, an apostasia. It's those that once walked with the Lord but have now abandoned the faith. And so he's warning here that there would be many that would all of a sudden they would come into the faith, but some of them would fall away from it and perish and die in the wilderness and not make it all the way through the pearly gates. It reminds me of scriptures if you think about it. Salvation is something that we live out till the end. Now, I think about Jesus, how he talked about those that endure till the end shall be saved. You see, there's something about contending for the faith to the end. You can start good where you agree that Jesus is the Christ and you agree with the Bible and you're in church, but it doesn't mean down the road you couldn't fall away and get away from him if you're not careful. And I seem to, as I've studied in time prophecy, I'm alarmed at the fact that there's going to be so much deception in the latter days. And then he goes on to say this. There's false teachers, there's unbelieving people, and then he gives a warning about the fallen angels that brought in unnatural, perverted sexual activity and produced the Nephilim, which I'm not going to get into in this sermon. But number four, he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, here's an interesting thing Ezekiel the prophet brings out about Sodom and Gomorrah because everybody thinks about the sexual immorality. But Ezekiel says this. He says, the sins of Sodom were abundance of bread and idleness of time. Isn't that interesting? That they were prosperous. 
And therefore, their idle hands started finding the wrong things to do. And it, I can't help but think about, in the book of Revelation, the warning to Laodicea. They said, we're what? Rich and in need of nothing. They were prosperous. Read the book of Revelation 17 and 18. As you get into 18, it seems like that so many would move into decadence and luxurious living and be caught up with all this wealth and, and prosperity and forget about God. And they grieved whenever Babylon was being destroyed because it was such a, a, a point of um, getting wealth into their lives. The merchants wept. The, they would stop on their boats and look at the destruction of it and they would mourn because they realized that all their wealth was going to be destroyed. But Sodom and Gomorrah turned into a place that was known for violence and also known for sexual immorality and perversions. And so let me get into the next part of Jude and starting with verse 8. It says, it says, yet in the same way these men, these are now remember, these are those that have crept in among God's people, but they're not really God's people. They were dealing with that back in the days of the apostles as well. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. And that can be translated dignitaries. But he goes on to say, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so let's break down that little paragraph. Dreaming implies an evil imagination. How many knows that we got to bring our thoughts captive? And I think about when in the days of Noah, God grieved because he said every inclination of their minds was continually on evil. We need to be careful that our minds and our imaginations are not perverted and evil and dark. And then out of that, because how many knows as you think, so, as a man thinks, so he is. So as people are, are sitting around thinking about the wrong things and entertaining the wrong things, you can't help but think about something like pornography, right? But as people are doing that in their minds, what happens? They begin to carry it out in their actions. And so he goes on to say, not only are they by dreaming, but also he said they defile the flesh. And a lot of people don't know any better, and then as they come to know Christ, they begin to repent and change, which is what we need to do. But I think about all the defiling of the flesh. What people are doing with putting ungodly substances in their bodies that defile their flesh. What they're causing their bodies to participate in, whether it be sexual immorality or whatever, that's defiling their flesh occult practices that they're participating in physically that's defiling their body. And I think about even all the marking and cutting and things that's going on, it's defiling the flesh. Now, people don't know. They have to learn. And then it also says they reject authority. You know what that is? That's those that are rebellious. And whenever you try to teach along these lines, there's, there's the wise that will hear they will listen, they'll, they'll humble themselves, they'll repent, they want to get right with God, but there's prideful, rebellious people that just don't want to hear it. I remember there was a time that a, a prophet was speaking about this. He's a man of God, and he was up there preaching, and this couple came down to get prayer to be blessed or get a word or whatever, 
And he was trying to pray for them, and he kept discerning that something was off. And so he finally asked him, are you living together in sex outside of marriage? Are you married or what? what what's going on? And they, you know, they admitted that they were not married. They were living together in sexual immorality. And he said, well, first and foremost, we need to get right with God and repent. We need to do right. And they got, instead of humbling themselves and repenting, they got offended and they left. And they even gave him the finger as they went out the door. That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with right here, they reject authority. And I know that they think that they're mad at the guy. The guy didn't make the rules and the guy didn't write the Bible. The problem they got with is they got with God. And also they revile angelic majesties or they revile dignitaries. And let me just warn you to be careful about speaking abusively against God's anointed. There's a place and a time for correction, but be careful. The Bible says, touch not his anointed. Be careful with that. All right, and then also, verse 10. But these men revile the things they do not understand. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable, unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. See, it's just like an animal that, that will simply just do things out of its instinct. He's saying here that these people, they, they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not living a life crucified with Christ. They're not living righteously. Rather, they're just simply like unreasoning animals. They're just giving into sinful instincts, sinful lusts. And he says, woe to them, which is a strong phrase in the Bible. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay for money... They have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. How many knows you got to know the Bible to understand this? These are men who are hidden reefs. Now, let me, let me just read this and I'll explain it. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, which I'm going to explain. And when they feast with you without fear, caring only for themselves, clouds without water, Carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So these are those that have crept in among God's people. But they're not really God's people. And they're not living righteously. They're actually, some of them, leading others into sin and leading them astray and using God's grace as a license to live in sin. And they're, they're among God's people. And think about what it's saying here because you kind of have to know the Bible. He said that they're like, they've gone the way of Cain. What did Cain do? Cain murdered his brother out of jealousy because Abel, his brother, was offering an offering to God that God wanted and asked for and was accepted Cain refused to do it God's way and was not accepted. So instead of repenting of his sin, he, per he persecuted and killed his brother who was right with God. It was jealousy. And the Bible says in, in the book of John that the reason why the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus is because they were jealous of his ministry. Did you know that? Also, it says that they've gone into the air of Balaam. You know what that is? Greed. God told Balaam right off the bat, he said, don't go. Balaam found a way to still manipulate things to get there because he wanted the money. 
He said, well, Lord, I'll only say what you're telling me. I'll only go where you send me. I'll only do what you want me to do. But please let me go. Why? Because he loved that money. God had already told him not to go. And then it also says, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, you're dealing with rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were of the priesthood, and they had an attitude against Moses. They said, well, has God only anointed Moses? He's anointed us too. Why are we listening to this Moses guy? And they began to try to lead a rebellion. They tried to usurp Aaron's authority given to him by God. And you know what happened? The earth opened and swallowed all them and their families, and they perished. They were destroyed by God because of rebellion against authority. So be careful because you're going to see these things in these latter days. Those that are jealous, those that have agreed about them, and there's great rebellion in these last days. How many knows that we're seeing more open, blatant rebellion today than we probably ever have? I mean, it's, it's honored. It's, it's like every uh, movie, television show, anything, it's like celebrates rebellion. All right. And then secondly, you have to know the word to understand this, the love feasts. So let me explain this because it is important. The early church didn't have big buildings that they went to. The early church met in smaller number and they met in people's homes. So if there was a home that was conducive for the meeting, that was the home that they would use. And the apostles set a pastor to oversee that group. And it wasn't necessarily the owner of the home either. And they would gather together. And when they came together, they didn't really have like, uh, you know, an instruments up here like this, but they came together and it would be very Jewish, very Hebrew at that time. And they would light some candles and set apart the time they would gather together and maybe sing some hymns and worship and, and somebody would share. They'd operate in the gifts of the spirit. They would pray for somebody. They were doing their best to be led by the Holy Spirit and God would heal people. God would deliver people. They would be the gifts of the Spirit, maybe a message in tongues and interpretation. But in that, in that home setting, they would also come together for a meal together. And in that, they would take communion. That's important that you know that. They would take communion weekly together. And then they would go on to feast together. And the purpose of the feast, everybody would bring food to the house the purpose of it was not only fellowship but was also this to take care of the poor among them and if you understand what i just described there's other i can't get into it but there's a several other places in the bible that's going to make a little more sense to you but that's what a church service looked like in the early church it didn't look like them coming to a building and people up on a platform it was a, just a different setting okay but it says among those, now let me read this again with that understanding. It says, these men are like hidden reefs in your love feasts. You understand that reefs back then, people sailed a lot more by boat to get where they're going. So they would have understood the terminology. Do you understand what a reef is? If you're in a boat, and you don't see beneath the water and your boat strikes a reef that you didn't know was there, your whole ship's going down. He's saying here that these people are dangerous, that they're going to shipwreck the faith of some people. They're going to destroy some people. 
And given the opportunity, they would bring destruction to the church. And it goes on to say that they feast with you without fear. Why would you need fear? If you're taking the communion together, how many knows you need a good, healthy fear of God in your midst? But here you are taking communion, and these, these people are just eating the bread and drinking of the fruit of the vine because they're hungry. They have no fear of God. They're not doing it out of uh, reverence. And it goes on to say they only care for themselves. They're there because there's free food and they're hungry. And it goes on to rebuke them. They're like clouds without water. You know what that reminds me of? Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. Tares among the wheat. A tear looks like wheat but does not produce grain. That's what he's saying here. It's a cloud without water. It's a tear without grain. It doesn't have the fruit of, it, of their lives that they need. They're carried along by winds. They're like autumn trees without fruit. How many knows when the fall comes, all the leaves come off? Some of your beautiful trees, how many have got this? you got a beautiful tree right now, but come fall, that looks like the ugliest tree you've ever seen. He's saying they're like an autumn tree with no fruit. And then he goes on to say doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. So again, you're seeing like this. How many have been in the ocean enough to know I'm talking about? These violent waves coming in that stir up a foam. And if you're not careful and you're on some kind of a vessel, those violent waves can be destructive to your vessel. And it, he goes on to say they're like wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. So this is a strong warning here. And obviously the darkness refers to hell. Then he goes on in verse 14. It was also about these men that Enoch, I mean remember Enoch, the first guy in the Bible to get raptured. He was the seventh generation from Adam. He prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones, or rather, you know, the Lord is coming, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And notice it's spoken against him. And then it says, These are grumblers. Be careful, because 1 Corinthians 10 says that people fell in the wilderness and died because they grumbled and complained. God does not like grumblers and complainers, I'm just telling you. How many knows that we're supposed to be thankful? The Apostle Paul said, I give thanks in all things. He wrote that to the Philippian church while he was in a Philippian jail. If he's given thanks in, in a Philippian jail, then how many knows he has the right to be rebuking us saying, look, you're not in a Philippian jail and I'm telling you to give thanks in all things. Here I am in this jail sharing this thing with rats and roaches and eating bread and water and everything stinks, is disgusting. And here I am, I'm praising and giving thanks. You can too. But these grumblers don't realize what they're doing. And then it says, and also fault finders. These are people that are critical. How many have ever been around critical people? They're always looking for something to criticize and fault find. And it says they follow after their own lusts. Again, it's like these unreasoning animals that just follow their instinct. They're just moved by impulses of their own lusts. They speak arrogantly and they flatter people. 
for the sake of gaining an advantage. How many have ever been around people that were flattering, but you knew that something wasn't quite right with them? See, those type of people that are flattering, they're trying to worm their way into positions of teaching and influence, etc. Now, Jesus warned us that it would be like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot when he comes. We need to go back and look into those days, which, God willing, I'm going to start a series that's going to be very interesting next week. And we're going to start dealing with a lot of this stuff back in the ancient world and, and some of the stuff going on in the days of Noah, etc. But there's some, just suffice for this time right now, in the days of Noah, with those fallen angels coming down and producing what they did with the Nephilim and all that, there is no way in my mind that I could be convinced that there was not a great move of occult witchcraft activity all over the world. I, in my humble opinion, I believe that that was the worldwide religion of that time, was what we know as the occult. And so it was brought to them by those fallen angels, and that was their religion that they practiced. So number one, you're dealing with the move of the occult. And if you read the book of Revelation, eventually after, you know, the rapturing and the martyrdom and all that, but eventually it's going to get to the place to where the whole world, it says, will worship the dragon, which we know is Satan. And then also, both in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, what do you have? Great sexual perversions. How many see great sexual perversions today? I mean, it's just unfortunately become common for people to have sex outside of marriage. And you've got adultery, and you've got all kinds of, of transgender and homosexual activity and all kinds of perversions. And it's gone on long enough now among those children that years ago had been uh, their minds messed with with this transgender stuff that many of them have gotten old enough now to really resent it and they're angry and they're speaking out about their lives being ruined because of it but sexual perversions and then it goes on to say in the days of noah and if you read some extra biblical writings about sodom and gomorrah there was violence there trust me but in the days of noah the bible specifically references violence <clears throat> So those are the three things, <clears throat> excuse me, that you're going to see in these last days. <clears throat> Number one is the occult, witchcraft, Satanism, things like that. Number two, sexual perversions on an unprecedented scale. Number three, bloodshed and violence. All right, then it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Let's look at verse 17. But he says, but you beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you in the last time, the last days, okay, that we're in, there will be mockers. How many feel like there's some mockers out there, some God mockers, mockers of revival, mockers of the Bible? It says they follow in their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, Remember me telling you to watch out for those that cause divisions. Malicious gossips and slanderers, those that speak against your brothers and sisters in Christ, speak against, you know, whether it be your pastor, the leaders, etc. The Bible says with such in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, don't even eat a meal, okay? Avoid them, Romans 16, 17. 
But he said, these are those that cause divisions. They're worldly-minded and devoid of the Spirit. Some people just do not understand the things of the Spirit. They don't understand the deeper things of God. Everything that they see, they only see it from a worldly mindset. And it's no different than if you went out and found somebody that was a non-Christian and you were trying to explain to them spiritual things. They're not going to understand it. If we have the Spirit of God in us and we're among God's people and we're, we're a people of prayer, we should understand the things of the Spirit. In verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Spirit. This is a time when we are going to need to be filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we're going to need to be praying in the Spirit, which means praying in tongues a lot in these last days. We need it, okay? And it grieves me the day that we're living because I believe God's about to circumvent a lot of things and pour out His Spirit and just go, circumvent means go around it. He's going to go around a lot of things and He's going to do what He wants to do, but He's going to have to pass some people by. He's going to have to... Um, go outside of the four walls he's going to have to go among a people that want god more than they want religion he's he's going to have to go around some things but he's always had to do that how many remember that as we studied historic revivals john wesley was not accepted in the church of that day because he preached a message of a gospel the true gospel that they did not receive he had to go outside the four walls because the churches wouldn't have him Yet he saw a great revival and a great harvest. So God's going to have to circumvent. He's going to have to go around a lot of things, but he will still have his way. But listen, it grieves me because the church, by and large, has been getting away from the things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, tongues, etc. And I'm telling you, in these latter days, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be clothed with power. We're going to need our prayer language to build up our most holy faith. He says also, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And then he gives us this, have mercy on some. How many of you that some people out there, you'll witness to them or talk to them or whatever, and they feel so unworthy. You ever seen that? When you witness, some people feel really unworthy. They feel like God would never forgive me. I've done too much or whatever, that type of person. Listen, have mercy on some. But then he goes to the flip side and he said this, though. He said, um, those who are doubting, but he said others, he said, save others, snatching them out of the fire. You know what that is? Hellfire and brimstone preaching. That's where you bring them the warning that if they don't repent, that they're going to go to hell. And it's like through a fearful message, some will be saved, okay? How many know, I remember these, these fiery revival messages out at Brownsville, for example, Steve Hill. I mean, he would preach messages and there was such an anointing there. There was such a fear of God in the house and people, I mean, some of those there needed to hear that, but this hellfire and brimstone type of preaching and they would run to the altar and give their lives to Christ, so the Bible says to have mercy on some, but with others, snatch them out of the fire. There needs to be a healthy fear of God. There needs to be a message that brings a healthy fear of God. And anybody that's telling you to get away from that is not telling you the truth. 
Also, it says, on some have mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Then verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, it started out with this. It started out saying that they use God's grace as a license to sin. Now he's ending this by what God's grace actually is. What is God's grace? It empowers you. And he says this to him who is able to keep you. Everybody say keep you. God is able by his grace to keep you from stumbling. He's able to give you the grace to overcome whatever it is the devil throws at you, whatever the world throws at you, whatever you're having to deal with in life. God's grace is sufficient. And I remember reading that about Paul. You know, he was going through all these things. There was this thorn in the flesh, which is some fallen angel that was going around stirring up riots and stuff. And it says all that specifically in the Bible. But he asked the Lord, take this thing from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. As Paul humbled himself, the grace of God gave him the strength to overcome whatever was thrown at him. Does this make sense tonight? We need God's grace in these last days, but God gives his grace to the humble. So to him who's able to keep you and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. But here's what I want to close with as I was reading through this. It's interesting that he referenced Enoch because Enoch was the first to be raptured. Enoch was ready, but Enoch lived righteously in a very wicked time. You do realize that Enoch was alive in the days when the fallen angels came down procreated the nephilim were on the earth enoch was alive during that time he was alive during one of the darkest hours of human history when it was so evil that god had to flood the earth to wipe it out yet enoch was not living in sin even though he was in a wicked time he lived a righteous life enoch also was a man of prayer he walked with god habitually daily he walked with god and because of that God took Enoch out of that. He raptured him out before the flood came. It's a picture and type of what God's trying to tell us. Here we are in the last days, and we're at a time when Jesus could come any time. And he's saying, be like Enoch, that you live righteous, even though there's so much wickedness around you. Who would have thought we would live in a time in America with a Judeo-Christian heritage that even publicly, on, on a public forum like the Grammys, that there would be open, blatant Satan worship? Who would think that? Things are getting more and more dark, more and more satanic. And what the Bible is saying, even though it is, we're called to live righteous. Amen? And to walk with God like Enoch did, to walk in humility and walk in a relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you, it's going to be vitally important that we develop a strong personal prayer life and we get to know the Lord for ourselves. I'm telling you, it's going to be so important that we walk with him. That's why the Bible tells us, watch and pray. Watching a watchman had to do with praying. Prayerlessness had to do with sleeping. So watching that we are a people of prayer. And it says this um, also to have garments that are pure. The Lord's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. 
So this is a time like Enoch to live righteously, to have a strong prayer life, to stay close to the Lord and keep our garments pure so that when the time comes that we can be caught away before the judgment of God comes on the earth. You think about the days of Noah, it's a picture and type of the rapture because as God's wrath was coming down on the earth, Noah and his family were floating up above it. And then when the wrath of God subsided, Noah and his family came down again to the earth. And that's a picture and type, obviously, of the rapture. And then he goes on to say praying in tongues. He said praying in the spirit to build up your most holy faith. We're going to need that. We're going to need to have a strong uh, prayer life to be praying in tongues. I'm just telling people that may be hearing this because this goes out through the Internet further than you guys think not limited to the state of Texas and not limited to the continental United States of America either. I'm telling you, this goes out to a lot of places. And some of you maybe don't understand this because you've never been taught, but you need the baptism and the Holy Ghost. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's wonderful. You're on your way to heaven, you're forgiven, but you need to be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost and, be, and have a prayer language. You can speak in tongues, you need it. You need it in these last days because it will empower you to be God's witness and to overcome. We need that strength that the Holy Spirit alone can give us. And as we have a strong prayer life and we're praying in the Spirit, we're going to be building up our most holy faith. We're going to stay close to the Lord and we're going to be ready. But God hasn't called us to live in some kind of fear or cower down. We're to occupy till he comes. We're to be seeing great exploits. Listen, people sometimes uh, criticize the rapture. God bless them. They really don't know what they're talking about, okay? I, but here's the thing. Either way, whatever they want to call it, there's going to be a catching away. The Bible says it however they want to accept that reality. I'm not going to argue doctrine, but here's the point, okay? For us to stay strong in these last days and be ready we need to be clothed with power from on high. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we need to be praying in the Spirit and building up our whole, most holy faith. We need that strength. Because in these last days, the Holy Spirit is what God has given us to keep us strong. Yes, we need the Bible, but we need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Okay? So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I have sensed a holy, hallowed presence on this word. Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for, as we preach the word, we preach it straight. We don't water it down. We don't compromise it. We don't try to people please. We just simply give people the Bible. If they love it, they love it. If they hate it, they hate it. But either way, we're going to just give people the word of God. And tonight, we've given people the word. And Lord, I thank you for a move of the Holy Spirit to back up your word tonight and touch people powerfully in this place as we need it. We need the word, but we need the Holy Spirit. And I think about a good shepherd, you know, Jesus, the great shepherd, but leads us beside still waters in the green pastures. The still waters is the move of the spirit. The green pastures is, is the word of God in our lives. We need both the word and the spirit to stay spiritually strong in the Lord. And so, Lord, refresh us with your spirit tonight. Lord, strengthen us. Let this word get in us and strengthen us in your word. But refresh and strengthen us also with the holy spirit tonight we need it and we thank you for it in jesus mighty name well let's i want to pray for people tonight and you intercessors i want to pray with you as well that god i feel this is a time to be in prayer like never before 
We're at a time where God is about to shift some things. I can't get into it, but fall is going to be glorious and into the spring. And I really believe that we just need to be like they were at Passover, ready to go from this place to where God's sending us. How many knows they ate with their loins girded, staff in hand, ready to go? I'm telling you, we've entered a time where it's the, we need to be ready because at any time God's going to move, he's going to open a door. It has to do with the place, it has to do with the revival, it has to do with provision, a harvest of souls, and God's going to open it up. I think it's going to be a quick move, and God's going to do a strong, mighty thing. In these last days, God is wanting a people that he can see great exploits through them. He can see the dead raised, he can see sick people healed, I mean, great things he's wanting to do so he can receive great glory. So we're going to move the chairs out of the way, and we're going to pray for people.